Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Well, hello, Dark Knight of the Podcast friends and followers. I'm so happy to have y'all here. Um, I'm so excited to sit down and talk with y'all because the, t- the title we're talking about today, I really think is going to be quite a joy to discuss, uh, mostly because if there's one thing I personally love uh, to experience when I'm watching a piece of cinema, it's a, it's a cast of characters that all have heavily pronounced Southern drawls. I love a Southern drawl more than anything in the world. And Troy, I know you know this about me. <laughs> Kiss my grids. That's about, that's about as Southern as I, as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> it makes me think of, for some reason, it makes me think of the act, which I know you've watched the act. It makes me think of that accent that uh, Patricia Arquette does in the act. That like that's that was it like Mississippi. This isn't this movie is not set in like Mississippi, but it is definitely that like that that gentle Southern draw. That even though she's a maniacal character, it still makes her so pleasant to listen to because <laughs> of that draw. <laughs> the act. We need to get Gypsy Rose on here as a guest. Oh, our guest. Imagine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, this film is definitely one that um, I, I dare say every single character in this film has a southern drawl because it's set in a kind of small town, rural, kind of bumfuck middle of nowhere setting. And I really love this kind of setting for a horror film, especially one where you're going to see kind of a, ra- a ragtag group of characters like rise up together um, and band together against some force of evil. You've seen it done so many ways. Films like The Crazies, for example, you know, where you kind of focus on like these rural settings where you have a group of characters kind of thrown into a, a completely unexpected scenario and they kind of have to, you know, make it work and um, man up, or in, in some cases, woman up here, um, and and make it through a very perilous situation with with uh, nothing but what they have at their disposal, which is oftentimes a lot of shotguns. Uh, and this film definitely kind of falls into that that trope, dare I say, that kind of formula that we've seen for a lot of these films, but it it approaches it with a really unique angle and a sense of humor, which is not normally something. I seek out of horror films. I'm not the biggest fan of the horror comedy. How do you feel, Troy, about horror comedies? I'm probably uh, more aligned with you in that respect. I mean, because they're completely opposite. So it's really hard to blend them successfully. And it's it's one of the things. It's like when they work, generally, they really fucking work. And I, yeah, I would point to like this one as, as being successful or something like Shaun of the Dead or Tucker and Dale versus Evil. When you get some when you get a really clever script that can successfully and seamlessly blend these two polar opposite genres together, it can be a marvel to watch but then on the flip side of it many of them many many horror comedies end up being cringy because there's the the right balance is is not there 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. We've watched so many of them that really are trying way too hard to be funny um, and, and fail at that. And they're not putting enough focus on being scary. So they fail at that. And then you just end up with kind of a miserable experience. We've seen many horror comedies that have not been successful, but I will say that the title that we're covering today is a, a film that I, I personally feel succeeds in both being a a loving homage to a, a specific subgenre, a couple of them actually, but a kind of sci-fi infused horror subgenre, as well as quite an entertaining and often rather funny comedy. I think this movie is successful at both. What do you think? It definitely has some some laugh out loud moments in it. I mean, I found myself chuckling a few times. Some of the some of the um dialogue, though it's subtle, like a lot of little subtle, really comedic jabs that are really quite funny that aren't played up for big laughs. Like I said, they're very subtle, and I think that's um, one of the things that makes this work be- work because this is a horrific movie. I mean, there are some very, very, very disgusting images in this film. So while the horror is there, again, it's James Gunn, so he is able to, I think, successfully blend genres and play with genres. And this is, I mean, this is a perfect example. And I feel like this film is definitely pretty much held in high regard. I haven't really run across anybody that's like, oh, I hate fucking Slither. People tend to enjoy the heck out of this movie and for good fucking reason, because yes, to be honest with you, I hadn't seen this movie since probably the year it came out, 2006. So, I mean, we're talking what almost 20 years it has been since I've seen this movie. And let me tell you, it holds up extremely well. The, even the even the um, the practical effects are stellar. There's a little bit of CGI that's kind of hokey, but for the most part, everything about this film holds up. Yeah, I think this film makes a lot of sense. You know, you mentioned James Gunn, directed by James Gunn, who has since blown up into the, quite a celebrity, you know, celebrity director, filmmaker, obviously his association with the Marvel universe. But, you know, if you look at his, his track record and where, you know, where he set his roots in film, where he started to grow, um, you know, look back, he worked with Troma, like he wrote Tromeo and Juliet, like he worked on that script. He, uh, he wrote the Dawn of the Dead remake, the script for that, another film that I love. So, you know, noting that he has a pretty rich background in horror, like this was, I think, a really, it, it makes sense to me that this was his directorial debut. And it also makes sense to me that it bombed because he kind of, in a way, I'm shocked that he got away with this film because it really is a tribute to a lot of the subgenres, like I mentioned, that have never been necessarily big, successful genres for for you know, box office hits. Like this movie pays tribute to so many classics like Shivers, you know, Cronenberg Shivers. Um, it pays, tr- you know, tribute to, like I said, The Crazies, another indie horror film, uh, the old classic sci-fi alien films of the 50s and the 60s, you know, um, and, and also movies like Society, you know, body horror. Oh, and, and you throw in, you know, some of the 80s gems like Critters and uh, Night of the Creeps. Yeah. I mean, it's like he took all of these ideas, put them into a a blender, put it on high speed, but but the result ended up being something that is just, I mean, creamy goodness, slithering your way. I mean, this this film is so fun. It, yeah, it is a shame that when it came out, it it, it bombed because it, it it delivers, it delivers, and I think we should 
you know, get, get into it so that our listeners can hear our thoughts. Oh, absolutely. But not before we take a moment to acknowledge that since we did get those two loving five stars reviews, we've, we've again plateaued. So let's keep up the momentum, listeners. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to keep it sweet. We're going to get to the meat and bones of everything. But keep them coming. We would love to see maybe a written review. What do we have to do? What do we have to give you to get a written review out of one of you? How many kisses? Week after week, we we we're giving you the goods, and you know we just want we just want to feel appreciated. No, I'm kidding. We we totally feel appreciated by you guys. The 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 love that we get on social media and whatnot definitely is great. But those little reviews they help us because they do help people find the show. Because those little ratings, believe it or not, Apple Podcasts has that algorithm where if you're searching for a horror movie podcast, the ones that have higher ratings populate first. So it does help us. And again, it does make us feel good that that we are um, delivering stuff that you are truly enjoying. And if you start giving us a written review at this point moving forward, I'm saying it now, Troy, if you give us a written review and it's nice, it can't be a shitty one, we're going to read it and we're going to acknowledge you. Moving forward, we're going to do that, right, Troy? We could definitely do that at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. Because I doubt a bunch of people want to sit here and l- at the beginning and l- hear us ramble. <laughs> but we will, we will save them for the Thank end. But we could, no, because I, I swear to God, I've listened. I've listened to true crime podcasts where, like, and it, you know, it, your heart's in the right place. Trust me, I know. But you learn real quick that little mistakes. But like one of, I'm thinking of a specific true crime podcast that I listen to that I actually love. It's one of the few that I um uh, subscribe to a Patreon for, but. They used to like do that. They used to, uh, because they were, they were new. They were so excited when they got a review, they would read it, but they would do it at the beginning of the show. And you'd be like 40 minutes in. It's like, oh my God, you're still reading these fucking reads. They, they got enough, they got enough feedback that they're like, no, no, no. Okay. We're going to save it to the end. You know, you know, we're going to tell you when we're going to read the reviews. If you want to tune out now, you can, but we want to, yes, but absolutely. We will read these reviews because we've, we just, it's 2024. We want to, we want to feel like we're doing something good in the world by reviewing these movies for two two and a half hours i mean we got over two and a half we got over two hours last week about that fucking killer workout roger (laughs) how the fuck we got two hours out of that title i'll never know but we did and we got more coming and i'll tell you this one right now um i do have, have quite a few thoughts on this movie i i am ready to Jump into Slither. Are you ready to join me? I, absolutely. We are heading to Wheelsy, wherever. I'm assuming this is like, to me, I got a North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia vibe. Yes, absolutely. Southern um, drawls. Some of them more exaggerated than others, but I yeah, very like, um, I, I don't get like a Bayou vibe, but I do get a Southern, almost kind of like small town, kind of poor, simple. I get a very simple vibe from these people. <laughs> simpletons they are a bunch of simpletons and <laughs> yes but it it gives you kind of a a, a mayberry feel you know you, you expect to see you know uh, barney fife walking on the street and there are the deputy characters in this film definitely are played uh, oftentimes for laughs and they have some of the best lines but yeah i i really enjoy the fact that you give us this that the film gives us this very small town that we get to know just through minor little interactions with characters like there is definitely a a history among these town folks like they've grown up together they know each other there's history with with all of them it just makes kind of like for a very pleasant experience no character is 
like despicable or, or you, I feel like everyone that comes on screen, you, you like, like they're pleasant. You don't hate any of the characters. None of the characters are nasty or vindictive. It's just overall a very pleasant, like I said, Mayberry feel. But what a cast you have portraying those characters. Like let's, let's really just right off the bat acknowledge that, you know, James Gunn clearly knows what he, he is doing directing this film, but he's also directing a cast of very charismatic, uh, chock full of personality, these people. I mean, the leads, the supporting characters, the cameos. Not There is not a single person in this film who isn't given it 110%. I'll say it right now. There is no one who's underacting in this film. <laughs> no, everyone's great. Everyone's great. They play well off each other. Charisma's dripping from the screen. I mean... And you start out, I mean, you start right into the action because the film, the very first like image of the film is like this giant asteroid barreling towards Earth. I mean, hello, what a better way to start the film, you know, and we do then zoom in on a cop car in Wheelsy and um, we are introduced quickly, briefly to Wally, who is a deputy and Chief Bill Party, played by Nathan Fillion, who he's been in a lot of stuff that I fucking love. Uh, we got to take a moment and acknowledge that Fox made a huge mistake canceling this, the show Firefly after one season. Oh, huge mistake. One of the you know best sci-fi shows ever to grace the screen, and it lasted one season before they got rid of it. What that show could have been, I just want to take a second there to to acknowledge that. But no, so you right away you're getting you know you're getting Nate, you're getting you're getting familiar faces. And honestly, I mean this role is tailor made for this guy. Like he is great in any kind of action infused uh, male lead kind of. Um, you know, taking the the bull by the horns, taking charge kind of personality. He's he's great in these roles. He's played it several times. He's got a Brendan Fraser like charm to him, but he's still sexy. Um, but he also has like a relatability to him. And him playing this kind of like again small town, relatable, charming, just likable character. I mean, it's just it is is the perfect fit for him it plays into all of his strengths it plays into his knack for humor but it also gives him some really great action sequences i really think like for for an actor who you're right has a great resume i think this is one of his best roles to date definitely he has a lot of fun with this role um and it's yeah you're you're right he it fits him perfectly like I could, I mean, he, he, he is such, he's so likable. Like you said, charismatic, likable and his interactions and his, his little one-liners that he has throughout the film are delivered so perfectly. But I, I want to point out like right away in this brief opening, the, the, the type of humor that this film is giving you is, is, is kind of put forward because as this, <laughs> as this um, big, huge asteroid is barreling towards earth. Wally is using a uh, speed speed gun to gauge how fast these birds are flying by. And he is like, oh, this one's going like 27 miles an hour. I would have guessed it was going 30. Uh, and of course, Chief Bill Party is not particularly engaged, but it's just kind of a funny parallel that they're he is talking about how fast these birds are flying that they're not flying very as fast as he thought they were as this fucking 
asteroid is barreling towards the earth at thousands of miles an hour. I mean, it's very subtle, but that's kind of the type of the humor that you're getting in this film. Well, and the fact that the asteroid, like in the midst of them having this very lackluster conversation, they completely ignore or miss the fact, you know, that the asteroid rockets to the earth behind them like you can see it faintly in the background and it it goes completely unnoticed these two guys are just so used to this like humdrum life they don't even acknowledge what happens behind them they don't even see it happen um and i think yeah there's this little hint of humor there uh the fact that they don't even pick up on it because they're so focused on this mundane dialogue there is a lot of you know when we say simple there's a lot of interactions between these characters that because of of their situation and because of the fact they know each other there you you come into this film feeling like this intense sense of of almost camaraderie between these people you don't have to have a ton of dialogue between these characters to really understand how close-knit their relationships are um i think it's really impressive that for a lot of the characters who don't have a ton of scenes together because this movie moves really fast like there are a few scenes here where I see the, their whole relationship kind of unfold in a few moments, uh, and it's handled so well. Like the the time in this movie is very well spent, and you get just enough of these interactions to feel like you really understand these people and know who they are. Yeah, we got to mention the pacing of this film is, I mean, is quite brisk and it moves really fast. Like there is not one moment of this film where I think there isn't some hint of of action or um or danger lurking i mean the, the film just moves at a very appropriately brisk pace and i really appreciated about that like i was never once bored or like oh come on what are we what are we doing here i mean because yeah the asteroid hits hits them hits ground and splits open we get the opening credits and we we cut that we cut to uh Kind of a montage of people going about their daily business in downtown Wheelsey, including the mayor. I guess what I said, there isn't a character that's, you know, despicable or unlikable. I guess some would argue that the mayor could be despicable or unlikable, but I feel like he's such a caricature uh, purposely, I think that it's, it's really hard to like hate him just because you know that this is supposed to be like the, the, the representation of like the small town. This guy grew up in this town. He was like the captain of the football team. He, he was all, he's always used to getting his way. He was elected mayor and now he thinks this shit doesn't stink. So he can talk to people however he wants, but there's also like just this kind of, I don't know, like I said, charm about this guy that I, I kind of find, uh, humorous i I don't hate this guy at all i actually find him to be a very very humorous character because like when you're introduced to him he's like honking his car and telling this guy to get get the fuck out of the way you cocksucker (laughs) and like he's the mayor and that that dower mother (laughs) that woman (laughs) he's the mayor and he's like calling people cocksuckers and she's like oh good mary her her and her little daughter are staring at him he says something about oh well, whatever. Easy come, easy go. <laughs> well, we get that nice montage too, like leading up to it of like of this town, and and again, without having to say anything at all, they do a great job of establishing the environment. And you get like a lot of the people that exist. You get that woman in like the electric wheelchair just zooming by. You get that guy with the cleft lip. How come we oh, didn't see the woman in the electric <laughs> wheelchair get attacked by those fucking slugs later on? Can you ima- can you imagine oh, her chasing oh, Elizabeth Banks down Main Street in that fucking scooter? <laughs> 
wanted to see it so bad. Oh, no, but... Yeah, missed opportunity for sure. One of very few, though, because you do see a lot of these characters come back, which I do like. Like, you do see there's this guy with this, like, very intense cleft lip, and it's like, you notice it. You see him for a second, and then later on in the movie, you see him again as one of the creatures, and it's just, you notice it for a moment. So I do like that this is one of those films that you feel like you see even cameos, the priest. You know, you see a lot of these characters come back into play. And I love when you oh, yeah. do that. Uh, yeah, you you really notice, like, yeah, when you upon multiple viewings, when you're watching this opening, you're, there's a lot going on, so you're really not focusing in on specific things. But like, you are right; these characters all come back. Besides the lady in the scooter, I don't know what happened to her, but everyone else is back at the end of the film as as fucking possessed zombies or or whatever you want to call them. Um, but yeah, uh, so we get a nice a nice quick glimpse of daily life in Wheelsy. And then we cut to high school, high school classroom. I'm assuming this is a science class because Mrs. Starla Grant, played by Elizabeth Banks, another great casting choice, is teaching her class Darwin as one of the students starts to like draw her nude. And again, it's all very like ho-hum, wholesome. Uh, besides the kid drawing her, her nude, it's just like this just feels authentically like a small town high school. And they're really just kind of introducing you to everybody in the midst of like kind of it's like almost like a barrage of personalities because you get introduced really quickly to Kylie, who is one of the girls in the classroom. And, and she has this brief little interaction with one of the students. But she does. She comes back into play. She's actually a, a very prominent character uh, with a, a great character arc. You wouldn't expect it, but it's such a brief moment. But they do make sure you get at least get a second with all of these characters. But I will say you know, I have compliments for everyone across the board, but this is a film that belongs to Elizabeth Banks. And this is Elizabeth Banks, you know, coming off of 40 year old virgin where she had that really memorable, small supporting character role in that film. And she really made an impression. Um, And that's right around the same time period. And like looking at her now and looking at how how much she still embraces the weird, you know, cocaine bear. Like, who else could really pull that movie off right now? And she did it. And I really love what she's like, kind of the trajectory her career has been on. And again, it makes sense that this was one of her early big roles because, you know, she plays a very delicate, demure, elegant character to start. But you see a great character arc for specifically for Starla. What an awesome journey this character goes on, and I really think it's because Elizabeth Banks channeling into her both her vulnerability but also her strength that uh, she makes this performance one that I think is is I, I will say a final girl, but a female lead in a, in a genre film that often goes overlooked, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. Um, she plays the character very um, understated. But it, but it works. I mean, even at even at moments where you would think that this character would be like hysterical, um, she's very grounded. There are a couple moments where I'm like, "What the fuck is she doing?" But uh, in the grand scheme uh, of everything, she is like the like you said, she's the heart of the the film. She's the character that the audience immediately cares about. We we realize we are following mainly her journey through the film. We don't want to see anything bad happen to her. Uh, like I said, she makes a few questionable decisions, but overall, I mean, yeah, she she's the 
the the beacon of the film and by the end of the film she you know while there isn't like a big like confrontation like big fight like struggle towards the end of the film she does get the the last bang in the film which is which is good for her character there's a brief moment like after class after kylie yes you're right kylie sees this kid drawing mrs grant nude and she certainly doesn't approve but it cuts to like after school brief 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 cameo by none other than the director himself james gunn playing one of her colleagues hank who is just talking to her about erosion in cambodia when her husband i love this i love that his name is grant grant (laughs) i love it (laughs) grant grant played by the stellar always stellar uh michael rooker who for me gives you know, a, a tremendous performance here, but has given some phenomenal performances in genre films. One of the one of the best horror performances of all time uh, is him playing in Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, um, and and it's like you talked about Elizabeth Banks' career tra- trajectory. His has kind of been very similar, and he embraces these 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 t- these different types of roles and these challenging roles. And in in this film, like he is, he is great. He is great. Well, I mean. I I can't praise this role enough. I, I really can't. And he really comes through in this character. Like, he has such a distinct voice. You know, he has such a distinct personality, his quirks. But it also feels completely unique and also very different from anything he's done. So it, it's a really great role for him that capitalizes on, I would say, all of his strengths. Absolutely. And it's a very physical role. And we, he, we, he really isn't kind of known for that. This is like the first time I've seen him actually in a really physical role that, and he just like, like you said, he nails it, but Grant Grant comes up and he's, he whisks her away. He's not too happy that she's talking to this colleague. Well, they're getting in this truck again. It's little moments that just give us so much background and they don't, they don't dwell on it, which is like, which is what I appreciate. There's, they don't let it linger. It's just a really brief conversation between chief and Deputy Margaret and Deputy Wally. And then the other one. What's the other one's name? The younger one. Is that Hank? Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 You're talking about the dark, the one with the dark yeah. hair. Yeah. We got the lesbian. Yeah. I love the lesbian Deputy Margaret. And in fact, she's kind of a, there's a little joke that I got, I got a chuckle out of just the way Nathan Fillion delivers the line here in a minute. But they're talking about like. They see Grant and Starla get into a into his truck, and Wally's like, "That's one, that's one couple right there that I will never understand." And Margaret reveals, "Like, how how could you not understand? Like, it's pretty obvious that you know she grew up poor. Uh, he had a lot of money. Came and whisks her away, and and that's basically what we find out that uh, Starla's what what is it? Her dad died uh, when she was a, a young teenager, and yeah, Grant." has money offered to pay for school and, and kind of whisk her away. Even like one of the other deputies like, Oh, so you mean she's a gold digger <laughs> chief is like, Oh no, 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 no. And, and, and uh deputy Margaret says something like, Oh, well, well kind of. And the line where uh, he says to her, Oh, if he had a Gina, you'd, you'd marry him to hit signaling that she's a lesbian, right? Oh yeah. They mention it later in the film too. She's definitely a lesbian. Yeah, that little boy. That little boy's like the little boy says, "What's a Gina?" <laughs> that little moment. You're you're right. Like they don't dwell on these sequences, but they give you 
a great amount of, of establishing information you need to keep things moving. Um, but, you know, I really think, again, the speaking to the overall acting here, like, they, they don't dwell on these moments. They don't show you these moments of, of Grant abusing Starla or, you know, constantly berating her. You only get this one little moment where he, you know, he pulls her away from the other teacher because he he implies that he thinks that the guy's trying to make a move on her, even though he's clearly not. So you immediately know that he's very like possessive of her. She's very like timid when she's in his presence. And like, that's all you really need. They don't bang it over your head. They also don't make uh, the chief into some character who's like really spiteful towards Grant. There's not some intense hostility between the two of them. It's not like they're forcing this really unbelievable relationships between people they're giving you just like a day in the life of these people and um it just feels really authentic to me yeah i absolutely agree with you uh that night grant wants to have sex with starla they're getting ready for bed he gets into bed and he's all over her you know you can tell she's not really into it you know he keeps he's it, it doesn't really ever get like rapey but he's definitely like pressuring her and she's like grant i told you i'm not in the mood i don't just have a switch and he's like, oh, sure you do. And he like flip, <laughs> flips her nipples. <laughs> and she's like, well, that's kind of disrespectful. Ultimately, she tells him, hey, stop. I'm not in the mood. And he looks at her and all of a sudden his whole demeanor changes because up until this point, he's being very playful with her and everything. And when he when she kind of puts her foot down and lets him know, no, this isn't going to happen. He looks at her and his whole demeanor, his whole voice changed. He's like, when are you in the mood? And he gets mad and he gets up and she's like oh grant where are you going he says i'm going for a walk let's talk a, a moment about the fact that and i this is hard for me to say this i would not normally think this but tell me that michael rooker isn't daddy as fuck in this moment like i i'm sorry i don't find me to be an attractive man but like he's looking good in this sequence he's jacked well, no he is he's in his underwear and everything he's definitely for an older man he has a great body I was kind of the opposite of you, Roger. I was I was thinking, well, I, if I was her, I would not want to have sex with this man either. Um, I don't necessarily find him attractive. When he was younger, sure, but just not my type in this particular movie. So I was kind of on Starla's side with like not wanting to have sex with him. And I think that I think it's implied that this is a very very regular thing. And I think it's also implied that while she loves him, you know, she loves their life together. She loves what he's provided her. She, there's something there between the two. That's not fully, she, she may, she might love him, but the physicality, the physical attraction just might not be there. And I don't, like I said, I don't really blame her. She feels indebted to him. I think you like, she really projects that very well. Like, you know, there's this moment coming up with her in a little bit where she feels, you could tell that she feels she has to make herself sexually available to him and it does end up being a positive experience for them but like i feel like she feels that she's almost supposed to you know she has a certain duty as as a wife that she has to be there she has to be sexually available even if she doesn't want to be and it's it's almost like she already knows to quote unquote know her place which is something she sheds luckily over the course of the film yeah, now we're getting to the best part of the movie, Roger. My favorite part, that broad at the bar. Oh, the, the crying game? The crying game. Uh, <laughs> your, your cameo. You mean you're talking that, about your oh cameo, God, Troy? Would, if we do a remake, put me in a wig, I will totally eat up this part. This this woman looks terrified. <laughs> she looks terrified. 
absolutely terrified. <laughs> Her wide eyes, just like which I, I mean, I would have it no other way. This is the exact, like, the perfect example of that weird humor this film possesses. You know, it's almost kind of like a Fargo in a way. You know what oh, I absolutely. mean? Absolutely, I got the same vibe. Uh, this is definitely something you would see in a Coen's brother movie. This this scene right here. Uh, I mean, it's just so awkward. Like he's he's in a he went to a bar. He, he instead of going on a walk, he went out to a bar. And this bar, there's people playing pool, but there's this woman. They're doing karaoke, and she's just on stage, frozen like a statue, gripping the microphone as tight as she can, eyes wide as saucers, singing. I know all there is to know. About the crying gay. Crying gay. <laughs> and she's very off key. She's not good at all, which makes it better. And like, there's n- nobody's really supporting her. There's like two gals in the bar, like rocking along to it. But overall, it's an empty bar and this woman standing in a spotlight. And Michael Rooker is just throwing back drinks, watching her. Like, what else is he going to do in this small bum fucked out? Well, luckily, he gets interrupted, so he doesn't have to watch anymore. He gets interrupted by, <laughs> by Brenda. Brenda, one of my favorite characters in the whole. Oh, movie. absolutely! This Brenda, she uh, she walks up to him and she is just forward. She's like, "Well, you used to date my sister Melissa, and she was a big fat cow, and so I always thought if she could get with with you, why couldn't I get with you?" And he's like, "Uh, because you were like eleven years old." And I love she says, "So I was game." <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, again though, what a gr- like another perfect example of this tiny little moment where you get a whole like lifetime of history between these two characters. You don't get a lot of time with Brenda, but the the dialogue here is so well written that it establishes you know not only like who she is in this community, but this obvious like this kind of long running romance that she's or or at least infatuation she's had with Grant to the point that she takes him into the woods and she shows him this tree where she had literally carved their initials into the tree with a heart. Like this is a long, long time coming. This whole, I love, but I love their interaction together when he takes her, when she takes him to the woods and shows him, they're just there. It's so, I don't know. Authentic looking, authentic feeling. He's just chuckling away. He's like, "Oh, you really did do your initials are BM for bowel movement." She's like, "Oh, at least my name, first name, isn't my last name too." And it's just they're just so like bubbly and happy, and he's he's giggling and she's giggling, and all of a sudden she just goes in for a kiss. And it's hard, and they start like they do start kissing for a minute until he does push her away, and he's like, "You know what? I can't do this. I have to get home to Starla. Starla's gonna worry about me." that's such a unique choice to me though troy the fact that in this character who they're really setting up to be what is kind of the antagonist i mean obviously under the influence of something but still the antagonist of the film and they could have really made him go in have this fucking affair with this chick he goes back and then you know he could have he could have banged this broad but instead he still makes the choice to say no 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 i have to stop and he thinks about starla like he still is he still cares about her. It's not. He's not necessarily in a being shown in a bad light here, per se. No, but it actually. You're right. It could have easily gone the other way, where they actually just fuck there in the woods. It doesn't, and I'm glad it doesn't because it, it does show he does have feelings and a devotion to Starlet, and that care, Roger, that carries through the entire film, even when he is at his worst. Do you know what I mean? Like Starla becomes like even when when Grant turns into this creature who's 
uh, he is still heavily, heavily uh, influenced by Starla. And so I, I, I do think that that was a really good choice because it does let the audience know how devoted he is to it. And he's so his devotion is so strong that even when he becomes this creature, that small, small, tiny part of Grant that is still in this creature is still all about Starla. That's a great point. And it really, it, it, it is a strong note that does carry um, through the whole course of the film. And it becomes, you're right, quite pivotal. Uh, but this is the moment that that leads to what is this this pretty epic transformation for this character. Um, because obviously as they are like, you know, canoodling and he eventually does stop the moment and say, I can't do this. Um, and, and she's obviously pouting. Uh, he turns to leave and he sees in the middle of the woods, he sees the area where there was recently this impact where the asteroid hit. And, and from like this clearing, he actually sees a trail of slime that he follows through the woods and finds this little fucking like larva. I don't know what the fuck this thing is. This pod it's alive. It's moving, um, crawling through the grass. And it is the first time that we get, um, an example, honestly, I mean, really of, of any of the effects, be they CGI or otherwise, because you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of CGI in this film. There is, we'll acknowledge that. But this moment, for the most part, it, it does start on a practical effect moment. You can tell, you know, and so and it, it's nice to see that this is a film that does balance the CGI and practical out quite a lot. Uh, quite well. You do get a, a nice amount of both of them incorporated when they can do practical. They oftentimes do. Um, and I really appreciate that about this film. And this little moment here is, is a nice start to that. Well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's like the, it's the egg thing that crashed down from, from outer space at the beginning of the movie. And of course they can't just leave it alone, right? Because it is making noise. It is moving. He has to get a stick and like uh, poke at it. And it splits open all of a sudden at that moment, my ass would have been like, okay, we're, I'm out of here. But instead he stays and looks at it. It's curious, this little like thorn thing. I don't even know what to call this thing. It's like a big thorn stinger stinger. Okay. A stinger comes out of it. And, uh, instead of like running, he stands there. It's like, Oh, and all of a sudden the, the stinger thing shoots out and goes right into like his chest and we do see it like there is a i mean we see it go in he lifts his shirt up and we do see this whole thing go into him into his whole body and um of course he collapses and we get this uh kind of like almost x-ray type image of as we see the thing going up through his chest into his into his brain okay this is one moment i'm gonna i'm gonna say i could have done without i love so many things about this film but this effect is I get what they're going for. I didn't need it. This sequence was working for me quite well. They do give us this very CGI, like X-ray shot where you see through him, you see his organs pulsing, and you see the stinger like implant in the brain. And it takes me out of the moment. It is one of the few things about the film that I feel did not age well. Yes. And they they repeat almost the same thing, sort of, later on in the film with uh, with Kylie. And I could have done with that out that little sequence as well but yeah i'm with you i have the same note as this i could have totally done without this we kind of know we don't need to see it go into him and bed in his brain we kind of figure that out but he does get up in a, in a moment because of course uh brenda's like grant grant you okay and he gets up and he seems dazed he gets up and he he, he walks away from from brenda and he goes home like we see his truck pull up to his house and when he gets home 
he gets some uh, raw meat out of the fridge. I love the way that Michael Rooker says meat in this film. Like moving forward, he sounds very like possessed under the influence of something like immediately, you know, but the first thing he says is he opens the fridge and he looks down and they have an, an obscene amount of meat there. And he goes, meat. And, like, <laughs> and he just grabs all of it. And obviously, consumes it um you don't necessarily see it right away but it is heavily implied and this is something else that carries through the course of the film um but he is completely changed as of this point there are still elements of grant that are coming through but whatever it is that has implanted itself within him it has a full control over him and for the most part his personality and his actions um and michael rooker does a really good job of of bringing that physically bringing that the physicality in this character he does really well with. Oh, absolutely. So n- the next morning, Starla wakes up. She sees that Grant's car is in the parking lot, but he is not in bed with her. And we cut down to him in the basement and he's like making, what is he doing? Making like a bed out of leaves or something. He's making his nest. What will be his nest? His nest. Yeah. Okay. We'll call it a nest. Yeah. So he's, and he's practicing his different, you know, getting into different positions to see what's more comfortable. Uh, and he hears music upstairs and he goes upstairs. And it's the song. Hell, you're every woman in the world to me. Comes into play later on in the film as well. Um, and Starla's up there. She's wearing her, her, I guess it's supposed to be a sexy nighty. I don't know. And she, she apologizes to him. She says, I'm sorry. I don't want to ever make you feel like I'm rejecting you. You know, he is obviously he's, he's starting to get possessed so he's has kind of this look of confusion on his face but she's professing how much she loves him and cares for him and she even takes his hand and and kisses him um and then like he starts crying and she says oh you're crying oh my god and she thinks it's the sweetest thing ever so they proceed to like have sex and before they do he take he unbuttons his shirt and she does see like the wound on his chest and, and she asks him what it is and he reveals that it's just a bug bite and then they apparently they do it i like that at first the influence that this thing has on uh grant like for starla it's it's a turn on like starla obviously they have sex she's she's glowing yeah she thinks he's crying because he's like um he's so moved by the moment um but overall you can tell that this thing this entity that's taken him, him over um, this is its first time experiencing a, like a woman's body. So you see like that fascination in him and that really translates here as well. And so this next day, this moment with Starla with one of her coworkers at the school where they have this rather crude conversation where she tells her all about getting laid and this woman's just eating it up. I mean, this little old woman is just thrilled for Starla for getting some dick. And I would be too, as her friend, I would be too. Um, but she's, I mean, Starla initially is, it's not like she's, thinking there's anything wrong with him if anything she's like kind of like i said turned on by it she's she's happy with the change in him well she says that it was some of the you know it's the, it's the best moment they've had for a long time and it felt like he, it, he made her feel like he was a brand new like a little boy discovering her body for the first time and that she can totally tell a, a sense of change in grant at the same time, Grant has gone to the local grocery store to buy some meat. And he ends up, first he says he wants like eight ribeyes. And he's like, oh, make it 10. And he says 14. But actually, when he gets home, we see that his whole truck bed is is full of various meats. I don't understand where he 
procured all of this meat because i mean at first the the butcher at the the grocery store is already like wow what's going on you having a party or something and he's like i'm doing something for for starla i'm throwing i'm giving her a surprise and that's 14 ribeyes i mean he must have literally cleared out every single grocery store within like a 35 mile radius because the amount the obscene amount of meat in this man's truck and he's eating all of it i mean the amount of meat consumption in this film is shocking. Um, so I think a lot of cows died for this movie, a lot of chickens. Um, and I mean, yeah, it is, it, it's just a sign of things to come because you are going to see a lot of raw meat consumed over the course of Slither. It's an ongoing thing. It's disgusting. It only gets more gross. You see a lot of animals die. Like it's, it is just the, the usage of meat in this movie. It is, it's, it's, at times often shocking, like still, it's just disgusting how how raw, literally, <laughs> this all is. But it, it's just it's just a, sh- a sign of things to come with this character. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of meat, and he takes it to his nest. When Starla gets home, she does notice that he put a lock on the basement door, and she questions about it, and he tells her it's for, that she should not be asking questions when it's so close to her birthday. And she's like, well, my birthday's two months away. That's not close. He's like, well, maybe according to you. Yeah. So weird little thing. He, he, um, he kind of gets a pain after she leaves the room and runs outside. And as he's outside, kind of like holding his chest and stuff, he sees the neighbor's dog, I'm assuming. And it is just standing in their wagging its tail at him. And he gets this big old grin on his face and he goes towards it. And the, luckily it doesn't show, you know, him attack the dog. It's very insinuating because we hear the dog whimper and we see the dog carcasses oh my god the dog carcasses in this film here later on so many so many oh my god um i do like that in this little moment here starla has been very meek around him but she already has a moment where she's like it is not my birthday she's getting a little bit of that southern sass with him and he does start to get there's there's a darker tone that he's starting to take at this point and she's starting to obviously suspect things, but it, it's not enough to make it really that noticeable. I like how uh, gradual it is here, where you see the progression of what's what's wrong with him. You know, you aren't even really yet physically seeing it, though you're about to very soon. Uh, it does start to affect his body as well, but at first, it's very subtle. Very subtle, but she, I, I do like the fact that she kind of seems like she's picking up on these little things. Um, and you're right, yeah. She doesn't... She, she, I don't think she has any qualms like standing up to him at some points because she definitely has done it a couple times already in the film. She's showering. We cut to her in the shower and he starts like convulsing while he's getting dressed and he goes into the bathroom and he, like there's this moment where he watches her shower and then this really disgusting moment where all of a sudden out of his chest come these like nasty fucking tentacles. These things are disgusting. She's oblivious because her back's turned and he goes to open the shower door, but then he stops. Like he has a moment. I think he has a moment of like grant clarity where he's like, Oh, what the fuck am I doing? I don't want to do this to her. And at that moment she does see him and tells him, you know, he, he runs off saying he has to go to work and she's like, Oh, we're supposed to go to the deer cheer. And he's like, no, I got to go to work. Well, he doesn't go to work. Where does he go? Roger. He goes to sweet Brenda's. Sweet Brenda, where she has that little baby. And did you see what she was? Did you notice what she was watching? 
No, what was he watching? It's a movie we've covered in the past. She, he was, she was watching the Toxic Avenger. Oh my God! Yeah, it's the moment of him with the pool. Where, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, with the girls in the jacuzzi. Yeah, yeah. He sticks them up, and yeah, I was like, oh my God, look at that. Yeah, Con- yeah. a connection to one of our past episodes. But she does have her baby with her, and she invites him in. She's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm here by myself. I don't, I just, just me and me and me and this little one here. Oh, yeah, this baby eating this tomato. Who just gives a baby a full fucking tomato? Somebody in the South, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Do you think, I got to ask you right now. Do you think that this that this baby got eaten? <laughs> I just need to know. Like, do you think this baby made it to the end of the film? I, you know what? That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know because you don't see it again. Like you would think this would be a big ordeal when Brenda went missing her, that, like her baby was still there. I guess there's a moment later when she asks the chief if her boy's okay. And he tells her, yes, not like it matters. Cause everything in the whole town becomes overrun by zombies. So I feel like regardless, I think I feel this tomato eating baby is, is a goner, but you know what? I hate if they're eating dogs, <laughs> Might as well eat a baby. I prefer them to eat babies over dogs. That's just me. <laughs> same, same. But we do cut to this thing called the deer cheer. Um, you know, and I guess it's a big ordeal to like s- kick off the deer hunting season. Because everyone- I mean, again, simple people, Troy. The, the simple people with simple joys. Every yeah, well, you know, I grew up with a dad who deer deer hunts and used to go to like duck calling contests and stuff like that and participate in them. So I I definitely know that people are passionate about hunting and and everything. So definitely gave me some vibes of like childhood things that we used to do. But like, yeah, I mean, everyone's in town. This is a whole shindig. It's the deer cheer. They're 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 all dancing. Uh, Starla's out on the patio, and, and actually, there's this moment where we get some interaction between her and Chief. So Chief Bill goes out to to talk to Starla, who's out on the patio by herself, just kind of getting some fresh air. And we kind of get the the impression, the correct impression, that there is some history between these characters, because she first thing she does is congratulate him on becoming Chief, and he's you know. He says, well, yeah, who would, who would have thought? I think you, you probably think it's silly. And she's like, no, I actually think it's kind of nice. And there's just like really awkward silence between them. Like there, you can tell there's awkwardness that exists between these two. There's some sort of history with these two characters. Uh, and through this awkward silence, he does get ready to say something to her and she stops him. And she's like, no, we should get back inside. They're about ready to do the, uh, the deer cheer. And of course they do because that the fucking mayor comes out and he gets everyone wild up by, by, uh, shooting about shooting a buck or two. We're kicking off the deer seasons. Everyone's all riled up. I mean, this, this town, there's a lot of rough lookers in this town. And I really like that James Gunn leaned into that and said, you know, in this kind of rural environment, like you're going to be missing a lot of teeth. Uh, and these people are having the time of their lives though. They're having a really good time. This deer, this deer sure looks quite fun. And, um, and even, you know, Starla's dancing around, like there's still a little moment between the two of them where this great chemistry is, is at play. And, you know, you don't really, you don't get a ton of these two together. There's a lot of separation between these two characters. They split up multiple times, um, but I really enjoy the two of them playing off of each other. I buy it. I buy that there was like a romance at one point, or maybe there was affections that they weren't able to 
do anything about because she started dating this guy at 17 you know so um i i really like just the chemistry between these two you got two strong leads but sometimes you got two strong leads but when you get them together you just you just don't believe it you know and that's happened with a lot of movies it doesn't mean that the actors themselves aren't great it's just you can't fake that kind of spark and the two of them together um i really really want to see them both of them survive and i want to see them end up together Yes, and it's obvious that Chief Bill has had a a major crush on Starla for quite some time because even his deputy Wally makes a little quip earlier about where, where he sees where Bill watches Starla comes in and, and Wally says something about, oh, there's a torch that you can't uh, get rid of and now it can. And he's like, oh, fuck you. And so it's just implied that he has been infatuated with Starla for quite some time. Now, during this countdown, we're intercutting between um, the countdown at this deer cheer and Grant and Brenda getting ready to have sex. So I do like the the juxtaposition of these two events where like we keep intercutting. They're doing this countdown. Grant opens his shirt. Brenda notices the the, the wound on his chest and then all of a sudden the tentacles come out and it, it becomes a very uncomfortable like moment where he then like jumps on top of her and you know she's struggling he's he's holding her down putting his hand over her, her mouth it gets to be very like violent and uncomfortable as these tentacles embed themselves into her stomach and i mean it it's it's quite a uh Quite a sequence that made me really uncomfortable because there's that there's that wide shot we get of her laying on the couch and she's just like convulsing as these tentacles are going in and he looks like he's about ready to have an orgasm. It's it's all very disturbing. And her baby is still sitting there just biting on that tomato, watching his mom be <laughs> penetrated by giant tentacles. It makes me think of like the rape scene in, in Species 2, where there's like the two women and he he knocks like he fucks the one and then her stomach like inflates and rips open and then he fucks the other one and you see the things start like sprouting off of him and it's it's quite terrifying the the thing with this moment is like up to this point there's been a lot of like it's been very fun but there haven't really been any scares and this moment all of the sudden makes the transition from being just a lot of fun to and actually, like you said, uncomfortable and, and truly pretty terrifying moment. The actress playing Brenda, when she sees the things coming out of him, I mean, her reaction is is quite terrifying and he covers her mouth. I mean, he technically, he, he rapes her. I mean, as an alien, but he rapes her. And, and her response, her screams, I mean, it's it's guttural. It, it's, it's not played for laughs at all, which is almost, in a way, startling. Because it hasn't really tried to scare you yet. So that when this moment hits, there is a tonal shift for a moment, um, which I do appreciate. Because with a horror comedy, as much as I want to laugh, I need to be scared too. And this sequence here, to me, proves to the audience, okay... This is going to be a lot of fun, but just know like we are taking the horror element seriously. Yeah, and I definitely appreciate that because I was I was uncomfortable. He has his way with Brenda with the tentacles. Now, Starla gets home after the deer cheer. The house is dark. Uh, she's kind of creeping through the house when we do get this really effective jump scare where just Grant just comes out of nowhere. And now his face, Roger, is swollen. Like the whole side of his face is swollen. There's like big, like almost like pimple things are on his cheeks. Part of his head is sort of protruding. And he tells her it's just a bug bite. 
Now, I don't know. I guess she she sort of buys it because she's like, well, let's take you to the doctor. And he's like, no, I already went and saw the doctor. I went and saw Dr. Carl and got got a prescription. And apparently she's fine with that because she goes to bed because the next the next day, it's obviously the next day, she is at work and she does call Dr. Carl to ask him, you know, can, is there anything else that can be done? Because I think it's getting worse. You know, what you gave my husband isn't working. And he's like, Starla, I haven't seen your husband in over a year. I like that she's on top of it right away. Like as she buys it for the night, she's like, okay. But like first thing that next morning, she's on the phone with the doctor. Uh, she is a proactive wife. I like that about her. Um, but I mean, let's let's talk real quick about these growths, these effects, because this is just the start of what we're really about to start getting. But already, like you can tell, this is early on into this transformation already. It's it's startling. It's striking these these growths the the effects make up when they do lean practical i'm so thankful they do because it, it consistently looks phenomenal even early on these these like you said these pimple like growths on him which do look almost like a, a bug bite reaction just really over the top really really effective really effective this jump scare when he comes out of the shadows like that yeah it, it's it's pretty fucking scary um and yeah i gotta give it up for the effects team on this movie because really this is just the start of what you're gonna get and it is phenomenal oh yeah the effects in this film get insane like insane i'm surprised that this film is not acknowledged more for its effects actually because they get they get I, they get to be pretty jaw-dropping actually so we do get this moment then after uh, Starla calls the doctor, we cut to Grant taking Brenda a bunch of meat. Brenda's now, he has her, he's keeping her in a barn. Um, she is saying how hungry she is. She's so hungry. She's so hungry. And he's like, well, well, darling, I got something that, that, that's going to fix you right up. And he like proceeds to give her like this rotted fucking meat. Oh my God, this whole moment where she's like just hankering it and he literally just brings her that fucking like, it's a dog carcass. I mean, you see, like you said, you see a lot of them and she's just licking and smacking her lips. She's so hungry. She ain't never been this hungry. And like she begins to fucking just devour these like animal remains. It's disgusting. Oh, absolutely. It's our first glimpse of like, what is going on with Brenda, what's going to happen to Brenda? Now, I don't think anybody would ever guess actually what ends up happening to Brenda, but it's our first glimpse that something is going to happen to Brenda, right? So apparently Wally and the chief are are on to something not being right because when, when uh, Starla gets home, they're there, they pull up behind her and they ask Starla if she knows Brenda Gutierrez because she's missing and people reported that the last person they saw going into her house was grant. And she's like, well, no, I don't know who that is. I don't think he knows who that is. And so they're like, well, here's my card. Give us a call. If grant comes home. So of course this arouses Starla's suspicions. Um, so she goes into the house and she proceeds Roger to decide that she's going to bust that fucking lock off the basement door and go downstairs at a girl elizabeth banks like again starla's very proactive she's not beating around no bushes she walks in the house she grabs a fucking baseball bat she beats the fuck out of that fucking lock that she put on that door and she heads down into a hellscape of just 
disgust and I mean again a sign of things to come but like at this point moving forward Starla is now aware that shit is going down oh well you Roger you have to you have to be a little bit more detailed about this hellscape what is this hellscape in this fucking basement Roger what do we see this is a room filled brimming with dog cadavers i mean i they literally had to clear out all of the canine like mutilated dog corpses that have ever been made in hollywood and get them on set for this location because i cannot believe the sheer volume of dead dogs that they have here like i don't i mean some some fake body prosthetic effects artist whatever the fuck it is made a killing on this movie because literally just gutted dogs everywhere hundreds of them it's shocking and it's so uncomfortable because i'm a dog lover i know you're a dog lover and it is really a a really graphic visual well and the thing is yeah they're they're half eaten um they're falling from the ceiling we get another jump scare as she as she goes into the plastic of the that the, the, that's covering the entrance to the room that fucking dog falls from the ceiling and that's a big startle but there's also like rotted meat like those steaks that he got from a store all over the floor i mean it's disgusting the smell has to be terrible has to be terrible she i mean she runs upstairs and good for her. She's going to call the police. I mean, she, this isn't a this isn't somebody that's like going to be standing by her man no matter what. No, she's up there. She's calling the police. They don't answer. She gets a message as she's leaving the the message on the voicemail of the of the police. We see fucking Bill in the window. And now he is like fucking fully deformed. I mean, he has shit growing out of him, tentacles growing out of his head. I mean, this is insane. This is insane. Well, and the way they reveal him here is is we've seen this before. You know, she's moving back and forth, the camera's following her, but you know, after, you know, she she walks past the window, then she comes back and he's there. And and the way they reveal him, again, they're not scared of getting scary at this point. They're leaning into the horror and they're leaning in hard. And that's and I love it. I love it. Um so she goes to like run out the door and he comes in and he gets, he gets inside and he attacks her and he's being very violent. He's like, I can't trust you anymore. You were going to turn me in. And he like throws her on the ground violently and gets on top of her. And all of a sudden the tentacles come out of his chest. And just as they're getting ready to go inside of her, I mean, they are like centimeters from getting inside of her. The chief and the deputies like show up and bust through the door and, Grant takes off running and now his one arm has become like extremely long. It's like way longer than the other. So like when he runs away, his, his, his gimp arm is just like dragging behind him. It kind of reminded me of like Freddy Krueger, you know, that image in the first nightmare on Elm street where his, his arms outstretch and he's walking down the alley, but just one arm. So when he, he tries to run away, it's like dragging behind him. <laughs> we are starting to see some of the CGI at, at play at, at this point. And it, it to varying degrees of success um you know this whole tentacle arm bit it looks pretty good it does read digital when you know compared to a lot of the practical effects we've been seeing here um but it's not like horribly done it's just blatantly a cgi effect um there are a few moments here knowing what they were able to pull off with practical effects there are a few moments i would have liked to have seen them attempt it maybe 
as a practical. Um, but overall, it's not like they horribly abuse the CGI. You know that every chance that they really can give a really great practical effect, they're sure trying. Um, but this is one of those moments where that did start to stand out to me. You're starting to see the CGI at play. Definitely, definitely. It's not as distracting as it has been in some other films, though, because I think they do do a good job of balancing the CGI with the practical effects. But I do love Nathan Fillion's reaction. He's like, what the fuck was that? And they chase him out. But of course, uh, Grant has disappeared into the night. This does start the trend of referring to, to Grant as a squid, which I find quite funny. Like, it, <laughs> it is the only way that they can really like describe him because of the tentacle arms and people are like he looked like a squid and then they start like using like squid stickers to identify like the sightings of grant all around like the different properties and so it's just like this funny thing that they kind of lean into um and it's a running gag and it kind of makes sense because what he's turning into does have plenty of squid like properties for a while yes so after this night after grant gets away you're right it cuts to three days later and there's there's this whole bit in the there's this whole bit in the police station where the mayor's wanting to find Grant because nobody's going to want to come to this fucking town to hunt if there's a crazed, you know, uh, animal eater out there. And yeah, there's there's this whole yeah this whole squid bit where they're saying he looks like a squid, and the mayor's like, well, no, maybe he just has Lyme disease. We also find out that Shelby is one of the uh, uh, operators at this police station, and it's she's. Shelby is played by the lovely Jenna Fisher from The Office. Also the wife of James Gunn. So it makes a lot of sense that she's in this movie and in a rather small role because God, I love her so much. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I like seeing this, you know, the start of their their relationship together, seeing her in this, this role before she really uh, started to develop a name or notoriety because of the office. This is a, a very small, but memorable, almost cameo in a way for her. Um, and I do appreciate that. It's definitely a cameo. She's in two scenes in the film, but I love seeing her. I love seeing her. And again, yeah, the squid, the squid running squid prank, because they do have like maps of where Grant has attacked animals and stuff. And it's Grant sightings and yeah, little squid stickers. There's also a little squid with <laughs> the, one of the deputies, Hank got a little squid, uh, stuffed animal. He's like, well, I, I figured we could maybe show this to the feds if they come so that we can, we can say that this is the, kind of what we're looking for. <laughs> they do, they do get a call. Shelby gets a call and there's been another attack. So they all rush out to this farm to find some dead dogs. God damn, Roger, you are not exaggerating. The amount of fucking dead dogs in this film is there's like 30 on this lawn. I know. And they become, there's this moment where the one deputy picks up the dog's head, like this German shepherd head. He's like, hey, chief, look, he must have knocked this one clear over here. And it's like this German shepherd head. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, I feel like they literally were like, how many dead dog limbs can we get? And I want to show, I want to feature all of them. It's almost, it makes you uncomfortable. Like this dead dog head, it's so much more graphic than it needs to be. Uh, it is, but it is funny. It's almost funny in the excessive amount of like, animal violence that you see here it's almost humorous in a way no i love dogs you know that i have two dogs in my own and i i did laugh i had to laugh when that guy picked up that head he's like he must have knocked it clear off over here and the chief's like put that down you dumb fucker uh and it's just it's just it's funny it's just like these little things that i don't know i guess you have to have a, a dark sense of humor some of the humor that is in this film which i you know i do so 
I got to chuckle at a lot of the stuff that people might not find funny, but um, the chief then is able to look at the map and he's able to like, he sees, he sees the the pattern of where Grant's attacking. So he's like, okay, I I think I know where he's going to go next. He's going to go to Otis's farm. So they rush back to the police station. They accumulate a whole fucking townsfolk, a towns group of people. Like we get all of them. We get all the town folks that are going to go help out. That little old man <laughs> that looks like a skeleton. He's so old. He's so, he's almost terrifying to look at. He's so old, but I love, I love that you get like, of course you got to get a posse scene in a movie like this. Like we're talking about, you know, this, this whole like ragtag group of, of, um, rural bum fucks, if you will, that you know, getting together, and you always see this. There's always a posse. They start to get killed off one by one. You dwindle it down to the final few that are standing. Um, I wouldn't say any of these characters are necessarily uh, all that memorable. They each get maybe one line per person. But again, the charisma is dripping from the screen, <laughs> and, and I don't know, man. It, it, this whole this whole stretch here that we're coming into is so fun. Oh. So fun. And this is, yeah, the film really amps up here. Um, they, as they're getting ready to go to head out to Otis's farm, Starla shows up and she says that she needs to go with them. And of course, chief's initial response is no way. She's like, listen, you need to catch Grant and bring him back here alive. If you want to find that girl, I'm the only one that can help you do that. Of course, she has a point. So they, they let her go. We cut to, these annoying twin girls laughing at the dinner table. These little girls, whew, thank God they're not in the film that long. But but they are annoying, and we realize it's Kylie. We saw Kylie in the opening classroom scene. Now we cut back to her because this is her house. Otis is her dad. The property is is being searched. The, the trucks pull up in front of the house. They look out the window. They see everyone. Otis comes out on the porch, and they're like, let's go, Otis. We're going to search. So they um they spread out on Otis's property. And take different like hiding positions in the field, and it gets dark. And there's a few little like character moments between characters. Like the mayor is with uh, the deputy, Deputy Hank, and he asks, uh, he asks the deputy, he's like, "Hey, deputy, have you ever gotten with that deputy Margaret?" And he says, "No, she packs a box lunch." I guess that means she's a lesbian, right? I've never heard that. I mean, he blatantly calls her a lesbian later in the he film. Does. So I'm but sure I, that's what, what he's I've implied. never heard that phrase. Packs a box, box lunch. I mean, I think that means that he's saying that, you know, she's, <laughs> she's about to eat, eat pussy. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> you call a vagina like a box, you know, like, or like a, I mean, like it, it makes sense, I guess, from a simple, again, a simpleton standpoint. Um, I, they, they drop a few hints that this broad is a lesbian. You never get to see it on full display. Does she does she read lesbian like? Yes, yes. I mean, if you're going to ask me to describe a lesbian to you, I would I would describe this woman. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she's a truck driving woman. She's got <laughs> she's got a sensible ponytail, and uh, I mean, I guess that's all it really takes. To just other than being a lesbian, that's all it takes to describe a lesbian. But yeah, I I really feel like for 2006. I'll take it. I mean, she's not a bad character. She's a likable person. She's making reasonably okay choices for the most part. So, um, yeah, I'll take some representation where I can get exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, so Bill is, uh, Bill's with the, uh, the other deputy, uh, and he basically, and, and Starla's there, and he asked Starla if she remembers going to his house when she was a kid, 
and coming to his door and then wanting him to run away to Hollywood with her because she had plans to go to Hollywood and be a, a star. And she wanted him to go with her to be his bodyguard. So obviously this relationship, as I said earlier, has been lingering for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And this is, it's a really sweet little moment. They needed one more moment like this before things go completely awry. I'm really happy that they strategically place this here. Because, I mean, again, it's 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 like a, a, a tidbit of information about Starla and realizing like who she was before she basically sold her life out to be with Grant and obviously take the financial benefits that come with that. She wanted to run off and become a star and instead she sold out and you know, now she lives the life as of a teacher. Um, and, and you can tell that she does yearn for something more. And I think that's an important trait that keeps her kind of fighting and moving through the final act of the film. Um, this little this little bit of dialogue, I think, was really strategically placed and really important for her. Well, even her name suggests that she, you know, was destined for Hollywood Starla. Um, but as they're all having these little conversations, they, they uh, hear a noise and they all turn around and they see now grant or what has, what, what has become grant is slithering across the field. Roger, I can't even begin to describe what this looks like. Almost like a, uh, he's moving almost like a, like a giant, like walrus. And there's like a tentacle coming out of his head. That's like flapping around. I mean, this is, this is disgusting. I think that the fact that it's really hard to describe what he looks like is is part of the reason that this is such a standout design. It doesn't look like anything I've seen. You know, if anything, like there's elements of it that maybe like there's a little bit of basket case in that design. You know, there's a little bit of other creatures that you've seen similar kind of, again, genre uh, acknowledgements, if you will, the reptilian elements and so forth. But for the most part, this thing is completely unique. And whether it be CGI or practical, at least moving forward, like whenever you see it on display, it doesn't look like anything else from any other movie that I can compare it to. And that's an awesome trait to have in a film like this. When you have a creature and a constantly evolving creature like that, but when you have a creature that really it feels completely fresh and original and unique and different from anything else. Um, it, it, it makes this movie all the more memorable for me. Well, the, I mean, we see it on, we see it on full display here in a minute because they all watch on in horror as it goes up to a cow and just literally like kills this cow. It cuts the cow's throat and then starts dragging it away by its tentacle. Starla, for some reason, decides that she's going to confront this thing. So she actually gets up and she goes and follows it into the, into the clearing. And she calls out grant and it turns away or it turns around. And this is the first time we get like the full, we see its face and every, all, all the tentacles and all the, just the, the appendages that are coming off of this thing. It is, I mean, it is quite just gross, but also highly impressive. Highly, I highly, I mean, there's so many, so many aspects of this movie deserving of praise, but more so than anything, I really think it's the practical effects and the creature design. Like whenever you see this thing on display, it is, it is truly standout. And so it does make for the, you know, what is eventually moving into the final act of the film here. You still have a, a few more highlights coming up, but as we, we do 
progressing towards the final act of the film, um, it really just ups the ante. I mean, I don't think you come into this film knowing just how violent and grotesque it's going to be. And when you finally see that Michael Rooker is now for the rest of the film completely submerged in practical effects, like credit to him for jumping all in. I cannot imagine how miserable it must have been in that fucking full body prosthetic suit that they have him in. And again, multiple variations of it. A lot of this is practical and he is covered in growths. His head is expanding. His jaw is splitting off into like this fanged mouth. I mean, it just looks uncomfortable, which makes it look even creepier, honestly. But I mean, honestly, credit to him, kudos to him for giving such a physical performance in what I'm sure is a very restrictive and uncomfortable piece of prosthetic costuming. God, can you imagine how long it, it took to the, to get him into this prosthetic? So she, so Starla confronts him and she starts telling him, you know, Grant, I still, I still love you. I'll still stand by you. I, I, when we took our vows, it was for better or worse, but you just need to now, you just need to come back with us. And as she's like sweet talking him and he's, he can, you can tell he's like, can understand what she's saying or he's like, he at least recognizes or he's trying to make noises. He can't, obviously he can't talk anymore uh, at this point. But as she's doing this, this just random, like one of the random town folks comes up behind him. He's like, listen, you motherfucker, you need to, uh, you need to come with us or I'm going to, I have this gun and I'm not afraid to, sh- to use it. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shoot you. And Grant turns around and just like, out of nowhere, this fucking tentacle whips out of, out of his body, literally hits this guy. There's this great moment where we kind of know what happens and, and they, they, they kind of take their time getting there. We see like the guy, we see like a little cut down his forehead and down his chest. And he's, start, he's starting to like turn blue with the internal bleeding and bruising. And then all of a sudden he just splits in half and his guts come out. It is, it is a great, another great practical effect. Oh yeah. And now you're starting to realize how disposable some of these characters are. Cause there is a lot of like random fodder. Like there's a lot of characters that, you know, are just kind of there to die. Um, and, and they really take full advantage of it. There's very few characters, especially ones that get focused on who don't feel like they get a death, um, you know, deserving or of screen time. Um, I really appreciate though that like the first one you see drop, like they go again, they go all in and it is a shocking kill and it really kind of sets you up for what is going to be just a wild gory ride. Well, of course they all freak out, especially Starla. She starts, no. And they all start like shooting at, at, at Grant and taking off after him. But he like f- falls to the ground and we get this really cool shot of him like slithering away really fast, like a fucking snake. Uh, and he goes into the woods and they, they chase him into the woods. Of course they can't find him. You know, they don't, they don't find him, but they do go to the barn. Like they're at the barn. Now as they get to the barn, obviously the smell is, horrible because they all start like gagging and holding their noses and stuff and as uh the chief approaches the bar we can hear like murmuring and and whatnot inside the bar and whimpering so the chief opens the bar door and they all go inside the barn to what is probably the most i would say iconic memorable image from this film would you not agree Oh, and what a visual 
this is. Because lest we forget about Brenda. <laughs> no, we cannot forget about Brenda. We do not forget about Brenda. Because Brenda is now a fucking face surrounded by just a bloated ball. I mean, this bi- this bitch is uh, fucking huge. She's like a massive just tumor of flesh with this tiny little face like popping out of the center of it. And it is, I mean, again, th- that that delicate balance between humor and horror. This right here is a perfect example because it's a grotesque visual. It's unlike anything I've ever seen, honestly. I, I can't think of another movie that does something similar. But they still manage to like give her these little one-liners. Like she's sitting there and she's like telling them what happened, and she's like, "I'm so hungry, Bill. Would you give me a little bit of that possum right over there?" Like she's trying to like encourage them to feed her still. Um, and it's sad because clearly, like this woman is about to erupt, and oh boy, does she erupt! But like. You can tell she is in agony. Like she's pulsing. You can you can hear the sound of her body just growing and and starting to rupture. And it is it's just a, a grotesque visual that is truly memorable. I do like that. The chief's like, "Just calm down, Brenda. I think we need to get you to a doctor." And then the mayor is like, "What is the hospital going to do with her?" Like, <laughs> yeah, but uh. But yeah, she starts like convulsing and the 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 uh, deputy Margaret's like, Could you, she needs, guys, get her to quit that. She's like, it fucking hurts, bitch. And then she starts splitting at the seams. I mean, literally splitting at the oh. seam. And she says, the little fuckers are tearing me apart. And all of a sudden this bitch blows up like a goddamn balloon. But that's not the best of it, Roger, because... She is completely full of what are no way better to describe these fucking things as giant fucking slugs. He is definitely uh, tipping his hat to, I had mentioned this earlier, but like a Cronenberg shivers um, kind of vibe here with this whole um, slug aspect because he, 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 Again, he acknowledges so many different subgenres here, but for a moment, it does become like what is like an insect slug-based horror film. And um, again, this is this is not an angle like if you would were to sit down and watch this movie from the beginning, I don't think you would necessarily anticipate this. Luckily, with like the promotional material, as they were, you know, ramping up to release the film, it was very slug-based. Like there's that great poster of the side of the tub with the slugs climbing up it. Um, so you knew it was coming, but it and it, it really is. This movie does a great job of con- constantly like unveiling another layer. Like, oh, and now this is a zombie movie as well. Oh, now this is also a body horror movie as well. Like, it, you know, there's so many things that unfold over the course of this movie. It never gets boring. But the slug aspect is probably the most memorable. Um, and I find it amazing that these slugs, I mean, they're all digital, but they do a really good job with them for the most part. But in a way, it almost like it's almost like these slugs have almost like a personality, like the way they move, the way they kind of scuttle around. I almost like compare it to like, like Robin Williams flubber, like, but understated, but like, you remember how that flubber was just kicking its legs, but like in a way, like these little slugs, like when they do have moments, 
it's it is one of the most memorable aspects of the film and it, it makes for such again such fun i love these things and when they're swarming all around them and climbing all over and they're you know they're starting to shove themselves down people's mouths and the people start seizuring it's both really entertaining it, it in a way, it's almost kind of funny, but it is also really terrifying as they start to take these people over. Such a good balance. Yeah, because when, when when all these slugs, and there's hundreds, thousands of these things that come out of her, the first thing they do is like go down. They, they, they go to, to any open mouth they can find, and they, they literally crawl down your mouth. So like right away, I mean, half of the characters are taken out in this moment because Wally, Hank... A bunch of the townsfolks that were there to, to help with the search all get these fucking slugs down their throat. And it's just horrific to watch them like convulse and writhe in pain and try to pull these slugs out as, as blood is just pooling out of their mouths. And and luckily, Chief No realizes, oh, they're trying to get in your mouth. So he tells Starla, Deputy Margaret, and the other to, to cover their mouths. And there's that moment where he they fall to the ground. He gets on top of Starla. And all of a sudden, all of the slugs just just take over envelop them and they're just a huge they are covered with them um but then the slugs realize they're not getting any mouths because people are closing their mouths so they all scurry back out the barn but in the meantime i mean you get all of these characters that have slugs down their throats convulsing and it's just horrific horrific yeah and the volume of them and it's it's really you know for being a cgi based sequence it is heavily cgi they do a pretty damn good job with it and eventually all the slugs do just slither away but you know there we go they are slithering it, it, the title does fit it, it kind of leaves everyone like in shock and and for a moment they they don't understand what's happened to the other you know there, i think there's three or four people who have been you know had a slug go down their throat and are now completely under the effect of it um everyone is just completely like overwhelmed like they have no idea what to do some of them want to go chase after um chase after uh grant you know others want to try to get the people to the hospital the mayor is losing his shit he's really starting to become the comedic relief at this point and i think he does a pretty good job with it but like things are in the just complete disarray yeah well the slugs they also have little like voices or little noises they make you know so they they, they head towards otis's house where kylie is upstairs taking a bath and Again, talk about, you know, a memorable or iconic image from the film. You know, there is a the cover art of the film or the one that I think most people are familiar with is the girl in the bathtub, you know, laying in the bathtub as all the, these slugs are coming, crawling onto the bath to to envelop her. But that doesn't necessarily happen here because Kylie is in the in the bathtub. But one one slug does get in to the bathroom and we see it make its way across the bathroom floor, get up into the bathtub and fall into the bathtub. In the meantime, the mom is there telling her, hurry up before you turn into a, a plum. And the mom goes and tucks those two little girls in. And there's like this overhead shot of Kylie in the bathtub as the slug starts swimming towards her, very much looking like a sperm cell, right? Oh, yeah, there is there is a lot of... um is sexual innuendo here, but it's not horribly heavy handed for being like a bathtub sequence. I think you may see a single frame where you may, you may see this girl's nipple, but overall it's, it's rather tame and they get her clothed rather quickly. But this whole moment, I mean, again, the, the shivers vibes, 
obvious. But there's also a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street um, uh, acknowledgement in this this scene. It's very very similar. The framing of it it's it's so much a uh, again a hat tip to, to Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but you know one thing I really I like about this, and I will say this is my favorite sequence in the film. I think this this scene is just phenomenal. Um, you know this character Kylie. You've gotten very little of her so far. You had one scene about of her earlier with the family where they talked about her getting her nails done, kind of made fun of her for it. Smart call, because when this whole first attack comes with these slugs, uh, when it starts to you know try to force itself down her throat, they make her nails very much a focus. That's why she's able to dig her nails into the slug and rip it out of her mouth and actually get it free. Um, and, and I really like that James Gunn, again, knows what he's doing thought to bring up this detail and focus on it a few times. There's several times you see these nails to make it clear that the reason she's able to get this thing out of her is because she jams those nails into it and she shoves it against the wall. Um, I, I really like that this character who has not gotten a ton of attention thus far in this, you know, final kind of stretch of the film becomes a pivotal playing factor and really gets some kick-ass sequences like this character did not have to step up to become what is really a major supporting character but she joins the group like as of this point moving forward she is one of the focal characters in the movie and i really like this girl in this role yeah no i was surprised at the twist that it takes with giving her kylie the kylie character so much to do towards the end of the film um but yeah she rips that fucking slug out of her mouth. And yeah, I mean, it's an intense moment. She's she's gagging, blood's coming out of her mouth. The thing is almost all the way down her throat before she finally rips it out and throws it against the wall. And then as it comes towards her, she grabs the curling iron and burns the fucking thing with the curling iron. She runs out into the hallway, Roger. I mean, she gets dressed. She runs out in the hallway. Fucking immediately, her mother comes busting out of the other room, obviously convulsing, obviously a, a slug's in her mouth. Her whole mouth is covered with blood. And she's trying to get in. Well, she tries to get into her sister's room. The door is shut. So she has to like bust it down. And we get this shot of these slugs fucking coming up the stairs. Like these little fuckers are, are crawling up the stairs like a goddamn slinky just coming towards her. She finally gets in her sister's room. Her twin sisters and these little girls are what? How old would you say these kids worth? Seven, eight, seven or eight. Yeah. Oh, my God. They fucking kill these little girls or at least let the slugs get into these little girls. Cause she goes into her little sister's room and the ones laying on the floor convulsing and the other ones in the bed convulsing. Yeah. They don't show a ton of it, but it's enough of, to be like a shocking visual to see this little girl. First, you hear them screaming and she, again, the, the women in this film are, are pretty fucking capable because she busts the door down she takes like a like a vase or something she busts the door down and she gets inside and she you know she, she looks over and for a minute you see the one sister like on the floor pulsing and convulsing and then it pans over and you see the other one in the bed and yeah it, it's shocking you weren't really prepared for this and this whole scene troy gets I would say really, really suspenseful. Like, and when you see those things crawling through uh, down the door frame, coming through the like coming uh, up the ceiling and everything, like all around her, you get this great low angle of it just to see how many of them there are. I mean, what a well crafted scene! Oh yeah, she when she realizes that the the whole their whole bedroom wall is covered with these things, uh, she she's smart enough to immediately get the fuck out of there. She goes out the window onto the roof. And they're like following her out there, but she does jump down off of the roof and land on the ground and immediately sees her dad come barreling out of the front door, falling onto the porch, 
convulsing as blood is pouring out of his mouth. So he's her whole family, Roger, within a matter of a minute have been dispatched by these things. I mean, it's pretty intense on the whole bit of her running and getting in the truck and like hiding in the truck. And you get that great shot of the slugs starting to like crawl all over the vehicle. And you see the shadows of them like over her, like going over her face as all of the, all of the light gets like blocked out by the different silhouettes of the slugs. Such a good shot and such an intense moment. They do leave you for a moment. They leave you on a cliffhanger. Like you think these things got to her. Oh, because yeah, they, these things cover, like they cover every inch of this truck. They're like all, they're like all over it. Back at the barn, the mayor, like you said, is losing his shit, freaking out, uh, trying to, um, trying to call Shelby. Who's not answering. The chief takes off running and he's to get back to the cop car. He wants to get back to the cop car. And as he's running through the woods, he does see like these slugs just like attack this poor deer. Oh yeah, this comes back into play briefly, um, but you do think it's like a little toss away moment. I, I'm actually kind of shocked that they managed to come back to this. Uh, mayor is like again. This mayor character is he is hysterical. He is thinking this is biological weapons. He says he's going to sue the bastards if if they if anything happens to him. And he even tells Deputy Murga, he's like, "You can sue him too, even though you're a lesbo." <laughs> There we get it. That's the confirmation. That's all we need is a cruel cutting remark from the mayor calling a cop a lesbo. And, and it, uh, what better way to address the, the elephant in the room? <laughs> well, Starla's outside with the bodies of Wally, Hank, and a couple of the town people that got the, um, the slugs down their throat. When all of a sudden, Wally sits up and starts talking to her in Grant's voice apologizing for his actions towards her uh, saying he's always loved you. And just, I mean, he's it's grant. This is grant talking to her. He's like telling her things only grant would know just then the other deputies like sit up. So we're like, Oh shit. These things have the power to reanimate their, their prey. And not only reanimate their prey, but th- they do it with a, hive mind so it's it's all coming back to the one entity that is obviously taken over grant and kind of become part of grant and grant has become part of it um but but because of that all of grant's yearning and desire for starla is now being communicated through literally every what is a zombie for the most part every single zombie in this town and there are a lot of them. And this also becomes kind of a funny running joke here. This whole idea that literally every single zombie that you see is now technically Michael Rooker with that rough, gruff, like Southern drawl that he's got the whole movie. Like he's got a very specific voice and it's literally just a bunch of actors trying to re- recreate Michael Rooker's very specific voice tones. And it is, I think, one of the funniest aspects of the movie. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's like points where like several of them are talking to her at the same time using his voice. It, it's yeah. Back at the truck, Kylie is in the truck. The slugs have, have dissipated. They're not at the truck anymore, but her family comes stumbling out of the house and they come and they begin to, to try to get into the truck and they are, you know, especially the mom, the mom's like, come on, Kylie. There's no excuse for you not to be with your family. And as Kylie is like, they realize she's not opening the door. They get a little, they get more and more aggressive. The mom's like, come on, open the door, you little bitch. And the, the little girl's like, Kylie, 
open the door. This is your last chance. And then we see that the father is picking up a fucking brick to bust the windows open. Thank God sexy fucker Nathan Fillion shows up and distracts them for enough of a moment that she's able to get out of that vehicle because this family was about to kill that poor girl and i, I love when when he shows up and they see him they all they try to act normal <laughs> oh my god it's so like they're all covered in like blood and <laughs> like yeah it is it is so absurd their body the, the way they try to walk they're all like it's all contorted but they're really trying to act normal nothing's wrong with us what are you talking about chief nothing's wrong with us back at the barn like as all these these different people are talking to Starla in Grant's voice, one of the deputies grabs Margaret. They're they're just like taunting, taunting. And Deputy Margaret like goes to reach for her gun when when Deputy Hank, who has been turned into a zombie, spits at her and like this yellow puke and it lands on her neck. All of a sudden, she starts screaming in fucking agony. Oh, my God. It fucking burns. It fucking burns. And she falls to the ground. I'm assuming we don't ever see her again, right? After this. Oh, I mean, as you watch her falling to the ground, her neck is literally like swelling and inflating. Like you see this giant blister forming. I mean, it is it is implied that this acid or this slime is acidic, I believe, which is, I mean, just one more thing that this fucking alien force can do. It's got slugs. It's got zombie capabilities. It has a hive mind. Now it's spitting fucking acid. Like, and yeah, th- this poor Margaret quickly dispatched. But that moment where you start to see her neck like pussing and filling up. It's a really gross visual. I wish we saw a little bit more of that specific, the the effect that the slime has on people because it's only seen a few times over the course of the film, but it's rather disgusting. Oh yeah. They're spitting up, throwing up. uh, Yeah. It becomes one of their like prominent weapons here for a little bit during these chase sequences. But yeah. um, So deputy Margaret's dispatch Wally comes towards Starla and being real aggressive to her is like, why are you always trying to, you know, get get people in the way of us? And she tells him, step back or I'll shoot. And he's like, oh, you ain't going to shoot me. You don't have the gun. And all that, she fucking blows his head off. I love her. I fucking love her. This is this is the, the twist I needed. Starla is now a shotgun wielding bitch, if only for a moment, because she does end up running off here. But like she blasts this fucker's head partially off and then you see the little slug hanging out of it scuttling away and i'm like yes bitch like i love that she is now the one in charge for a moment yeah i mean it shit's hitting the fan here i mean shit's in the fan because now starla takes off running through the woods back at the truck you know kylie and uh the chief are trying to keep her family back and as they get ready to uh to kind of get into the car one of these fucking zombies comes up behind the the chief and hits bashes him in the head with what is it, like a, a shovel or something he's like you stay away from starla she's my girl oh yeah because of the fucking hive mind so all these zombies are showing up from all over the fucking place uh and luckily you know kylie is also pretty fucking proactive i mean they're kicking it in high gear here i mean survival mode definitely ramped up here but they they run and they, they he shoots he does shoot that zombie in the foot and they are able to get up they run into the cop car zombies are chasing after them like now we got dozens of them 
he gets in the car and he runs. Basically, he, he runs de- the deputy Hank down. Deputy Hank's like a zombie. He's walking down the middle of the road. Fucking chief runs him down, knocks him to the side of the road. That's when Starla attacks him with a fence post and jabs it in his fucking throat. And she is just violent, just violently shoving this fence post into poor Hank's neck. She's screaming at the top of her lungs. The mayor's there. He gets in the car. They're all just watching. Everyone's just kind of shocked. The mayor even says, does he say like, what a fucking badass? Like, like <laughs> He says, bitch is hardcore. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I like I like for a moment, they all kind of realize like, holy shit, Starla. I mean, she's fucking kicking ass. Like she is. She's she's capable. Yeah. And I mean, all this has happened. It's all pretty intense. It's all pretty terrifying. They get into the cop car and there's just like this moment of subtle humor again, where the chief calls Shelby. She says to him, well, chief, I'm good thing you called because your mom called for you to come and unplug the toilet. (laughs) It has something to do with you. She says you caused it when you were there on Saturday. Oh, and there's like this awkward moment where he's just like sitting there and everyone's just like kind of looking at him. And he says he's trying to make excuses. Like, oh, there's some pipes in the yard that got there. We get some stuff from the yard in those pipes. But Shelby hangs up, and as we we see her now back at the police station, and as she's getting ready to make another call, some blood drips down onto her desk, and she looks up, and the vent above her pops open, and dozens of slugs just fall from the ceiling onto her, um, getting attacking her obviously but but that's about all we get at jenna fisher it's a bummer because obviously they have uh since divorced um though they were married for i think like seven years and and this was like in the midst of their marriage that he made this film and they divorced not too long after it but i'm curious like if they would have remained married if he would have done like kind of like what he does with michael rooker which is he involves him in a lot of his films like michael rooker is in all of the um Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Like, you know, his career is really flourished because of working with James Gunn. Um, and knowing that she had this like fun little role in, in this film, she tends to oftentimes play characters that are kind of on the same wavelength. Um, and I would have loved to have seen her get into play more weird roles like this because it's such a small moment, but it's just, it's this really memorable little scene for her. It's one of that moment of her looking up and seeing the slugs dropping out. Like I, I remember that so vividly from the promotional material and everything. So I, I do selfishly like wish that they were still together. So she'd still be working with them. Cause I think he used Jenna Fisher really well here. So after that moment, the mayor is in the cop car as they're driving back into town, throwing a fit about not having Mr. Pibb. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, Mr. Pibb's my favorite Coke. I, I'm so fucking pissed. Where the fuck is the Mr. Pibb? Kylie does tell them about the moment that she became Grant. Now, I forgot to mention this. This was another, you mentioned the X-ray kind of effect that Michael Rooker had earlier on in the film when the thing first went into him. There's another moment like that when Kylie's getting attacked by the slug and she's pulling it out of her throat. She has like visions of like the other planets that these things come from and like the monsters on the other planet eating each other. And then she has visions of Michael Rooker, what he saw, you know, what, what the grant character has seen throughout the film. So she, um, so she does uh, relay this information to the group, basically telling them that this entity travels from planet to planet, devouring whatever it can and spreading these worms like a disease. Her character 
needed something like this to make her very you know prominent involvement over this final act of the film uh, f- feel like it had weight and merit to it. Um, and I will say like this decision to add this kind of psychic link that she has, because obviously the slugs, like when they take over the brain, like it becomes part of this hive mind. So because she had enough of a contact with it, she is able to see everything it's seen. And so you do see like these flashbacks here at a few points of, of like worlds that this, that this slug has taken over. You see visuals of what appears to be another planet getting overrun. Um, a very heavy CGI based moment, very much implying things to come from James Gunn as well. Like you see a lot of what I think has become his, his very like um, uh, signature C- CGI heavy style. Uh, you, you see glimpses of it here in these action sequences, these otherworldly kind of sci-fi action sequences that you just see, you know, flickering moments of it. Um, it's interesting. It's, you see so little of it that it almost feels um, unnecessary to me in a way, but it's an interesting angle to include. And it does make her character feel a bit more important. I guess it gives her something to do or something, you know, some, some importance, but I, yeah, I could, I, I don't know. I just could have done without the the flashback sequences and stuff like that, but that's just me. It doesn't ruin the movie for me by any means. Um, but the, the chief does try to call Shelby back. And when she answers, she's like, hi killer. And so they know shit. She's been possessed. She's like, I got a surprise for you right around the corner and right around the corner. As they turn the corner, another fucking car crashes into them. And when they get conscious, I mean, zombies, are everywhere. Zombies have ascended upon them. They're pulling, they pull Starla out of the car and take her away. I love this, this whole moment here. Um, it feels for a moment, it leans really heavy into the zombie genre, um, which, you know, this film hasn't felt like a zombie movie per se up to this point, but now you have this great moment where the whole town is overrun. This is where you're seeing a lot of those like characters, those little cameo glimpses you've had of certain individuals, you know, within the city. You're you're seeing all of them now. You're seeing all these memorable personalities kind of come back uh, as as zombies. And so as the car is like being overwhelmed and the zombies are starting to break into the vehicle um, and and take uh, Starla, you know, they they are actively seeking Starla and they grab her. She's unconscious. This movie does start to feel like like a, like a high stakes zombie film for a moment, which is also kind of awesome. Cause you know me, I, I love zombies. It doesn't stay there for too long. Cause it does get very, very um, body horror alien heavy here again in a moment. Um, but for a moment, this really does feel like a really kick-ass zombie film. And I love that. Yeah. I definitely got some Dawn of the dead type vibes from this particular scene. When, when these zombies are trying to pull all these people out, they get Starla, they take her away. Obviously, they are trying to get to the others, but the chief is able to get them out. So him and Kylie um, take off running to the they, they they take off running and they head to the police station. Um, but as they get there, they realize shit. I mean, this whole town has been I mean, <laughs> taken, possessed, has been inundated with these words because everyone in town is walking through town, dragging dead bodies behind them. He mentions to Kylie 
that there is a grenade in the police station, which was mentioned earlier by Deputy Hank, that they had a grenade there for, what was what did he say? It was for like uh, salmon fishing or something, if you wanted to use it for that. So the chief remembers that it's there. So he tells Kylie to wait there, and he is going to go into the police station, get the grenade. When he gets the grenade, they'll be able to destroy Grant with it. So he goes into the police station. It's dark. You know, it's, it's quiet. It's, it's creepy. We don't know. We know that, you know, Shelby has been turned into a zombie, but we're not sure where she's at. And he's like creeping around the, um, police station. He comes upon a deer eating a body on the ground. And it's the deer that, as we mentioned earlier, he saw in the woods get attacked by the slug. In a way, this is like one of those moments that feels kind of like unnecessary and a bit forced, but it it almost brings, and here's another homage in a way, it, it has an Evil Dead-like uh, quality to it. It's this obvious puppet. It, it is all practical from, from what I believe, you know, from what I'm seeing here. This whole sequence of him being attacked by this thing, all practical, very comedic, disgusting. Like, this thing looks gross, but it is like definitely a moment of humor, I would say, him fighting this killer deer. And, and, you know, earlier I mentioned that that Kylie proves herself to be rather resourceful. Um, and I really like that she steps in here and helps him. Like, she is not damsel in distressing it here. She steps up uh, to the bat, and she's the one that actually is able to help overpower this thing. Yeah. Well, she does notice, like, motion, like physical motion through the police window. So, because this deer fucking attacks attacks the chief and there's this like violent struggle as it's like biting him and, and really just trying to tear the shit out of him she notices the accent so she goes in and she gets like a fire extinguisher and goes with the dinner she's like hey motherfucker and she bashes it in the face and gets it gets it away and so chief is able to get the grenade he gives her a gun in the meantime the zombies have taken starla to her house and put her in in gently in bed like they're being very gentle with her Back at the police station, as Chief and Kylie leave, he does notice that the zombies are dragging the bodies north. So they must be taking them to a specific location to the to like the the host, which would be Grant. He also tells her, "Thank you for saving me from that deer." But when I tell the story, I'm going to tell it the other way around, and it comes into play here in a, in a few. So Starla. Uh, wakes up. She hears voices. So she's getting out of bed. At the same time, the mayor, we didn't really see what happened to him once he left the police vehicle, but apparently he got to a, got to this house and he's in the basement, right? Well, he got knocked out in the vehicle and they took him as well because when they were breaking into the car, one thing all of these, these zombies have consistently been doing, also kind of a nod to earlier in the film, is they're all saying, meat, meat. Meat, meat, like as they're dragging these bodies, like obviously implying that these these bodies are going to be used as meat. So the mayor wakes up. He's he's now conscious and he is in the in the basement of this house where people are either now being used as meat, being turned into zombies, or they are being turned into basically breeding stock to become what Brenda was and create more of these slugs. This thing is getting ready to take over the world. 
Oh, it's definitely getting ready to take over the world. This it's going hardcore here. I mean, as we, as we we're in the last few minutes of this movie, and let me tell you, it gets it gets amped up. So the mayor turns on the uh, lights a lighter, and he yeah he sees like all these zombies in the basement are eating meat, rotted meat, eating people, and there's this one old bra, this feisty old woman, Roger. I love this old woman. Oh, she's scary as fuck, man. She she is, but she's like, what? Don't you look at me that way? Don't you judge me? I'm hungry. I've never been so hungry. And she's like, starts chasing him, and then he's going up the stairs. She's like, you fucking Republican. <laughs> oh, I love it. And you notice how all of these, specifically all of these, um, and I don't even know if these are zombies so much as they're just obviously impregnated with whatever it is that's in them. So they they have this insatiable urge to eat, but they are conscious. They're able to talk. And and I, I I love that they all have these like prolapsed guts. You notice like already their guts are starting to fill up. So they're like they're hanging. Oh my god, it's such a gross little effect to add in there. It is yeah, you're right. It's disgusting. These yeah. Yeah. So she chases him up the stairs. When he opens the the basement door to get into the house, he's immediately stabbed in the neck by the tentacles of I'm assuming Grant. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, kind of a shock because the mayor has been a pretty major character up to this point as well. Um, And this is inevitably going to be his demise here. So yeah, yeah, he gets a pretty brutal tentacle to the neck effect and his neck does start to swell up, which is disgusting. Well, we, we see him here in a few minutes. Again, uh, well, we see him two more times, but the last time we see him, he's definitely fucked up. So Starla hears that song playing, the song that she played for Grant. You're every woman in the world to me, to me. So Yeah, so she starts <laughs> heading downstairs. She gets downstairs and she notices like on the wall, there is literally just a shrine of her pictures all over the wall, like everywhere, covered. The mayor down in the basement. It, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, so it must not take very long for you to get this insatiable hunger because the mayor already now is turning because he's sitting in the basement crying, but then he looks over at a dead body and he immediately goes over to it and just starts like eating the arm off of this dead body as that music is like swelling beneath him, this beautiful romantic music. And he starts just eating this woman's arm. It, it's a funny moment, but that's, but it is kind of scary that it happened so fucking fast. You know, it doesn't take long for, at all for you to become like a flesh eating, you know, the chief and Kylie have made it to the house and they, they, they're seeing all these people drag uh, the bodies towards this house. When they see like the back of grant hanging out of the, 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 the patio sliding glass doors. Uh, he's now, I mean, God, he is now a large blob. Again, you can't explain what this thing looks like. You just, you can't, there's no way. It's just disgusting. He's, I mean, he's taken up almost the whole living room, tentacles, appendages hanging off of him. Not only that, like there's, now there's people, there's actually human people that have attached themselves to him. So when you said mention society, this is very much a society moment, particularly when that naked heavy set guy walks up to him, drops his drawers and just like leans into him and is absorbed by, uh, 
Oh, it's gross, man. It's really physical. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, yet another moment where like you didn't think that they were going to take it, like amp the shock factor even more. But now you have this fully nude man, just like this homely, like meaty man, um, just walking up and, and starting to fuse into this, this giant just growth of people. It's so gross. So gross. So, and you got to give Starla credit because she goes into the living room and she sees Grant like this. And I think any normal person, Roger, would get the would just have been in horror and tried to run the fuck out of there. What does she do though? She starts sweet talking him. I mean, first when he sees her, he starts he calls her a whore and says that she betrayed him. But then she does start to sweet talk him. She's like, Grant, I would never do that to you. I mean, he calms down too. And she's like, "You Grant, you like to be called Grant, don't you? I like how you decorated. You know, uh, it'll be me and you. I, I just need to be with you because this I didn't have anything in this life anyway, so I might as well be with you. And he can't, he's just like whimpering and stuff. And it's funny because like when he talks, when he does say stuff, it's not coming from him. It's coming from like the bodies that are like embedded into him. Oh my god, and all the bodies are like speaking in unison with that twang. It's so fucking creepy, man. Well, she slowly approaches him. She gets him calm and she gets ready to kiss him. And I can't express how hideous this thing is. So again, I give her all the credit for going through with this because damn, this thing is disgusting. When she was coming down the stairs, she does get a, a hairbrush that has a very sharp pointed end. So she has that. So as she's going to kiss him, she instead pulls out the hairbrush and fucking stabs the monster Grant in the neck with it. Probably a bad choice because this thing goes ballistic and knocks her across the room. Yeah, I mean, like, I was shocked that she had the cojones to stab this thing with that little fucking brush. I mean, I guess what else are you going to do? At least she's fucking trying, you know? But yeah, it really doesn't do a whole lot, especially since this thing is now just a massive tumor filling an entire living room. But I mean, you know, kudos to her for at least having the guts to go up to this thing and stab in it. I, I, I but yeah, but when you, when she stabbed it, you're right. I was like, what the fuck do you really think you're going to do with this little hairbrush? Like this thing is massive. And you think a little hairbrush is going to, is going to kill it. The chief and Kylie like bust in right, right at that moment. And the, and the thing's like, you really think you, I've been, I'm a thousand years old. Do you really think you could pull one over on me? And the chief's like, yep. He goes to toss the, the grenade at the blob, but, but another tentacle comes out of nowhere and knocks the grenade behind the couch. And I like the chief's like, shit. So he has to scramble to get the grenade. But basically this thing now knocks Kylie to the wall with a sofa. Uh, the chief tries to, Get the grenade, picks it up, gets a hold of it, but then it's fucking literally knocked through the window onto the uh, patio. And the grenade rolls away from him and goes into the pool. And then I love that. I don't know why I found this so funny. It's like it hits the pool, and all of a sudden you just get this like little <laughs> some water squirts up as the chief like looks on, devastated. <laughs> But now he's got to act fast. I mean, like they are really in a position where nothing is in their favor, you know, and the the fact that the that the chief has completely like been foiled, you know, his plan is now ruined. Um, he has no real way to defend himself. Like quickly, uh, Grant starts to target him with his tentacles. And like, I'm pretty surprised at how fucked up 
the the chief gets in the, 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 the last few minutes of this movie. Like, it's not like this guy gets out unscathed. Like, for a moment, you really think this fucker is going to die. Well, yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Because basically what happens is the chief is laying there on the patio. The tentacles come out of Grant. And they immediately go to the chief. And one fucking stabs him in the stomach. I mean, and it's brutal. He's holding the other one. But this is brutal. He's breathing pus. Like, foam is coming out of his mouth. Somehow, though, I, I there's a propane tank out on the patio. Maybe it came from like a, a grill or something, but he's able to get this propane tank and grab the other tentacle and stick the end of it into the propane tank. And so the pro, now the, the tentacle is being filled with propane, which causes Grant to start freaking out and rip his tentacles back, which causes the chief to be ripped violently back through the window onto the floor. The, the, the propane tank goes flying away. Uh, he is now the chief is now lying in front of this big blob of Grant, and he's I mean he's in bad shape. He's bleeding, like I said, blood is pus and shit is coming out of his mouth. He's able to tell Starla, "Shoot him, shoot him." She uh she grabs his gun that had, that fell off of him when he got thrown out the window, and she she goes to shoot Grant. And there's this there is a moment where she pauses and kind of they look in each other's eyes, and Grant's like you really going to do this to me? And she does. She fucking shoots him, blows the motherfucker up. It is one of the more CGI heavy moments in the film. When you see him blow up, um, it is still very entertaining. It is still very disgusting, but there is a moment where you see like aspects of his body exploding and it's, it's, it's very, very digital, but it's, it's a, it's an appropriate conclusion both to grant. And honestly, for a finale in general, you know, what is revealed here, you know, she, she shoots him, he blows up. It is gross and disgusting. And ev- all of the zombies immediately start shutting down. Um, and, and it is revealed here that Starla and the chief and Kylie, it turns out have actually survived this whole ordeal. Um, and I really like that. We got a small handful of these characters that, I've come to really enjoy who do manage to make it through this experience. They're not unscathed, especially uh, the chief, because I mean, yeah, he, he had one of those things fucking jabbed into his body, filling him with what I'm assuming is alien cum. I mean, disgusting. You see it pouring out of him. It's all white. Oh, oh I know. Oh, we see that. Yeah. He, when he rips the tentacle out of it, it's just like, yeah, this white pus starts coming. And, and even Kylie goes, you got to get, you had to have two of them inside you to get all wormy. I, I like the fact that Starla kind of throughout the film has really been on a mission to destroy Grant um, and to do whatever she can to, to save the town by destroying Grant. And because I think it, that moment is very cathartic for her, not only because she destroyed a monster, but she was now she knows she's free from the restraint of, of this marriage that she probably regrets ever getting in. Right. Uh, which is why she has been so like hell bent throughout the film of I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play along. I'm going to, I'm going to end this. Uh, so you got to love it for it. And of course, yeah, the chief survives. So they get up, uh, they start to leave the house the chief says, I bet you, or Starla says, I bet you regret not running away with to Hollywood with me. And he looks at her and he's like, I've always regretted that. As they're walking away, we see all of the bodies, all the zombie bodies laying everywhere. They're in the field. They're in the middle of the street because once you destroyed the host, they all 
They all die. And he tells Kylie to tell, why don't you tell Starla the story about with about the time I saved you from a deer? A perfect conclusion. And honestly, a really satisfying and kind of cathartic conclusion in a way, because like what you're mentioning with, with Starla's journey, again, it was never implied like that Grant was like physically abusive or anything, you know, but she was in a really unhappy situation. And I think that she was maybe in some ways emotionally like demeaned or talked down to in a way that she felt like she could never maybe have the life she originally wanted for herself without him. Uh, She felt like she was kind of trapped under his thumb, I feel. And there's some dialogue here towards the end, right before she shoots him, where he basically says, like, you're nothing without me. You know, he's he's really kind of just talking down to her. And I think that the differentiation between the creature and Grant, again, kind of fades away. Like, I mean, really, I mean, I think that is Grant speaking. I think that Grant looked at her as his property and and felt that she was indebted to him. Um, and I think that that makes for that moment where she does kill him to be all the more satisfying um, and a sense of relief because she would have never escaped this unhappy situation had he not been taken over by this parasite. You know, I don't think she would have shot this guy or killed him, but you know, because with him being possessed by this force, it also really, I think showed his true colors to an extreme that, you know, his love for her was also an obsession and infatuation. It wasn't necessarily healthy and her escaping. That was the best possible thing for her she just had to overcome a lot of things to get there oh it was an extreme extreme way to get out of a a marriage i mean half the town the entire town's dead now there's but we have i I feel like the film leaves you on a very hopeful even though like we see everyone's dead the town is dead like almost everyone in this town is dead there's still like just this hope that the film leaves you with because starla and chief bill survived and you feel very much like they are going to be together this was their destiny their destiny was always to be together and it just took something up uh unfortunately this horrific to to allow that to happen but i i feel like the f- the film leaves you with a lot of hope and that you know kylie is going to be taken care of by those two because remember her whole family is dead well and the fact that he allowed kylie to survive too like that is a character that again like overall when you look at the structure of the movie like she's kind of ripe for the picking in the sense of killing her off and killing her violently. She's like the, the kind of hot, sexy, you know, um, younger female who's, you think she's going to be there for like the eye candy aspect, you know, but really like she ends up serving a purpose. And like I mentioned, she's multiple times, not only is she resourceful, but she has this connectivity with this alien force that makes her valuable. Um, and, and I really like that when he did give her character moments of prominence, he didn't make her the damsel in distress. He made her a capable teen who was able to, you know, not only defend herself, but help those around her uh, in, in fighting against this force. And so her surviving is really satisfying to me. I like that he gave us a few characters that we can walk away from this, this film and, and say, you know, I'm happy they made it out alive. Yeah, and I do like that she kind of gets the last little funny line where she says, uh, yeah, Bill saved me from a deer one time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's basically how the movie ends. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you get, you get even though, I mean, like I said, even though it is, it can be interpreted as a, a very downer ending because this entire town was slaughtered by these mutant slugs, I feel optimistic that these three are, are walking off into their a future that's going to be much brighter for them so 
Uh, I'm content with the ending. Uh, I'm content with who, who survived and I'm content with the film. Roger, this film is a fucking blast from start to finish. I know, like it said at the beginning, I know this film has a strong, strong fan base. I just wish it got a little bit more attention because for, and you know me, I'm not, my, my forte is always slashers, a, an alien film or a body horror film has to really, really get my attention to, to, for, for me to want to watch it or continue watching it. This is one of them though. This film is a fucking blast. Let's let's get some let's get a fucking sequel. Bring Jenna Fisher back. Come on. Oh my god, bring all of them back. I'd love to I'd love to see one more round. I doubt it'll ever happen, but you know, these fuckers didn't just earn a happy ending. They saved the world. Uh so let's let's keep in mind they saved the fucking world. They deserve a sequel. They saved the fucking world. Absolutely. And Troy, I do not know if you caught this. Um, but you know, fans of James Gunn are aware if there's one thing he loves it is an after credits sequence and it, it is nice to see that even as far back as slither um we were getting this i mean technically even as far back as as the dawn of the dead remake which he did write uh, even that has an after credit sequence so this is definitely something that he's um you know expanded outside of just his his comic book films this is more of a staple of just his cinema in general uh slither does have an after credit sequence and if you make it through this whole running credits of, you know, you see the three survivors walking away, uh, and then the credits are scrolling, and then you get to this moment where you see a, a little brief sequence, the inside of, of, of one of the houses um, after the finale, where you see, like, the remains of, of one of the the alien creatures, like, little, little tentacle sacks where they have that stinger coming out, and you see this tiny little cat walk up and start inspecting it and very gently licking it as you start to see the stinger start to like throb. And of course, last time that happened, it shot into Grant. It started all of this. So it's heavily implying that uh, that this is not over. So that desire for a sequel it very much, I guess, could be a potential here. I don't think it'll ever happen due to the poor box office, but I, I think it, it could easily have expanded into a series if they had wanted to. Did you catch this moment, Troy? I did see that and see setting it up for the sequel. There you go. But yeah, no fun little, fun little post-credit scene. You know, if the dogs weren't safe, Hey, the cat shouldn't be either. Right. A satisfying watch, Troy. I'm happy you, you let me have this one because, um, I've been wanting to cover this title for a while. And, um, I, like I said, I hadn't watched it in a long time, but I've always like held a love and appreciation for it. And re revisiting again reminds me why this film is so unique. Um, and and ballsy and daring in the sense that I think it like, like I said at the beginning of this it tackled a lot of material some subgenres that don't often get a lot of love and I think that's partially why it kind of bound at the box office but it's so well made it deserves so much more attention and I would tell filmmakers aspiring filmmakers filmmakers that you know are, are looking at to make something unique this is the Watch this film because it is a perfect example of blending and paying homage to several different genres and several different styles of, of horror film, but doing it in such a effective, entertaining, successful way. No, nothing is heavy handed. Um, you know, nothing, no element of film overstays its welcome. It's all very well blended in. And for, for, yeah, for your, you're right for the, as many different 
kind of elements of horror that this film is is dealing with it does it so well so well uh great pick roger i'm so glad you picked this i'm so glad we finally get to talk about it um i feel like yeah i mean slither guys what what's your thoughts on slither have you seen it are you a fan let us know obviously um on social media let us know what's your thoughts on slither slither are yeah, I, I really can't wait to hear because this is a film that I could talk about for hours. So uh, please feel free to leave us some comments in our Facebook group, which is active again. Um, we are back in it. You know, when we said we're back, you know, as of the new year, we are back uh, across the board. Um, so let's get some conversations going, guys. We'd love to hear your feedback. Yeah. And real quick, so you guys know what to expect next week, because we are back. Our next pick, Roger, another one of your picks. Um, but... I'm so excited for this one because we don't really delve into Italian horror much at all. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Jalo. Uh, one of my favorite horror films of all time is Suspiria. Uh, Argento, give me Argento all day long. But you chose a film by the other sort of Italian master of horror, master of gore, Lu- Lucio Fulci. Uh, we are finally covering one of his films. Do you want to let the audience know what it is? Oh, I'm I'm so excited because there are gonna be, we're gonna have some we're gonna have some conversations about this oh, movie. I can't wait! I cannot uh, wait. We are we're covering the beyond, guys, and it is going to be, I think, a blast. I mean, yeah, we haven't covered Italian horror, but Italian horror is ripe for the discussion because they do things weird. They do things real weird, and I I think you and I are going to have a fucking blast talking about this movie. I cannot wait. Seriously, I cannot wait. Uh, so that's going to be fun, but guys, again, let us know your thoughts on slither. Let us know your thoughts on the episode. Give us a five-star rating on Apple podcast or Spotify and check out our Patreon if you're so inclined. But with that guys, we are going to slither away for the night. Oh, Troy, you're every woman in the world to me. (laughs) So sweet. So sweet. Okay, guys, with that, stay tuned next week for The Beyond or Seven Doors of Death, a.k.a. I can't wait, guys. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good night.